Hi, hello, welcome to another episode of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. This is Josh Bow, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyball.com. Joining me on this Wednesday night, you'll be hearing this on Thursday at the earliest, it's Kirk Henderson, my favorite. Kirk, what's going on? Not too much. Gearing up to uh, for the last uh, road trip of the season, and it also happens to be a West Coast road trip, which means for all of us, you included, uh, fans, we're all staying up late to watch the Mavericks play some shooty hoops. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take it all in right now because... Soon the doldrums will be upon us, you know, if, if you're, you're going to watch playoffs, and then it'll be June and then July, and then we'll be begging for bad basketball by, by the end of July. So I'm just trying to, trying to take this all in. No, that's fair. We were just talking uh, right before we recorded about, like, what are we even going to talk about? Because the Mavericks have just been so uh, not very interesting, and everything talking about the Mavericks is centered around what are they going to do this summer, and what's Porzingis going to look like and, and how are, you know, what holes do they need to fill and, and things like that. And the games have definitely taken a, a major backseat. And even Luca has kind of slowed down a little bit because he's been kind of nicked up. And speaking of that, I feel like that's probably one of the bigger storylines about the Mavericks right now is just what to do with Luca. I think we know what's going to happen. He's going to play if he can play. But he had that kind of injury scare a week ago against Houston. He played two games. One of those games was against the Spurs. It was the worst game he's ever played by far. He missed eight free throws. Just He wasn't gimpy or limping necessarily or showing like pain, but he just obviously didn't look right. Uh, then played against Denver. Uh, Mavericks lost again in Denver by one. Uh, he had the awesome dunk, but then missed another free throw. Uh, um and then he sat out uh, against Cleveland and then, then played against New Orleans on Monday. So he finally got a night off. And I think it just kind of opened up a, a discussion about, like, what do you do with Luka for these last you know, 11, 10 games of the season? Because he has Rookie of the Year pretty much sewn up. Like, that ward is his uh, as great as Trey Young has played. You know, I don't, I don't think he has, play, he has not played well enough to – mitigate what Luca did the first three or four months of the season and what Trey was doing the first three or four months of the season. So even that, you know, I think Luca has that wrapped up. So if he took a night off here or there, I don't think it would kill him. Obviously it might kill him because he's so competitive from that standpoint. So it's, it's just kind of interesting. You know, the Mavs aren't really playing for anything. Luca's kind of got his postseason award wrapped up. So he doesn't really necessarily have to play for that. Um, Perzingis isn't playing. So, you know, there's not too much, you know, necessarily chemistry or things that they're trying to work on. You know, I know they got some new guys in, but not all of them are going to be major pieces in the rotation next year, or at least we hope. So, uh, Kirk, I know we uh, we might be on different sides of the coin of this, even though we're, we're we probably agree a little bit. But what are your, what are your thoughts on on what Lucas look like and and the health thing and, and sitting out games and, and and that stuff? I am on the opposite side of this because I I think that. If he wants to play, you have to let him play. Unless there's a clear medical reason why he's so competitive. You know, this Anthony Davis thing that's happened with the Lakers and him basically trying to force a trade has really affected how I think about Maverick team building. You know, you don't want to – you need to really thread the needle between, you know, working with star players as much as possible and also protecting them from themselves. 
what I thought was particularly crazy about that Spurs game was that, yeah, he was medically cleared, but by halftime, I mean, he looked like a guy who was playing underwater. There was just like, he, I mean, he, frankly, he was one of the key reasons why they lost the game because of those free throws, because, you know, Jalen Brunson had such a huge game. I was surprised they kept playing him because his shot, like it released his hand and it looked like it, it, it entered the multiverse and came out a different place. It was truly, truly weird to watch. So, you know, like I, I think they need to be as honest with him as possible. They want him to play, but if it's not working for him and he's injured at all, you know, he needs to, to, to also, you know, be honest with the team and say, look, I, this just isn't feeling right. I need to sit. I mean, I think the rest of the year, He's probably going to finish out. You know, there, there's no real, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he sits against like one of the Memphis games, but you know, fans pay to see the stars and, and, you know, it, he's fun to watch play. And I don't think that as much as we want to start talking about individual games and like have that play into what we're talking about with the lottery, you know, whatever will be, will be to at a certain point. So I think like getting that granular about specific losses is really just a way for everyone to like drive themselves insane. So I, I think for now we should just kind of watch the basketball, enjoy it as, as much as we can, and then just, you know, see, see where this takes us. Yeah. I'm with you on the losses and, and the, the trying to look at lottery odds and, and things like that. It's fun, you know, because there's not much else for the Mavs. Mavs fans be doing right now but yeah like you said just the the team is not gonna all likelihood not keep their pick and and they could lose every single game for right now and not even budge uh, an inch in the standings down or, or you know going down so that just kind of seems like fool's gold except if you're just kind of having fun with it uh with Luca, I totally get that you know he is obviously a competitor he wants to play and I love that about him and it's one of the kind of dirt qualities that he shares and that he just he will go kicking and screaming when trying to miss a game and like you said though like that Spurs game it was just kind of eye-opening how bad he looked and and how it wasn't getting any better and even um even Rick Carlisle admitted after the game you know he was like oh he played like 33 minutes that was probably too much and I'm just kind of thinking yeah I think that was like everyone else was watching him and I don't know if I really advocate him sitting out like a lot of games of these last 10, but kind of like what they did with the Cleveland game, just giving him one night, maybe a week or or something just might help a little bit. Maybe not even that. He might not even need another night off. But I'm, I'm glad he took that night off against Cleveland because not only physically did he seem banged up, but the Mavs have had a lot of the last three or four losses have been pretty brutal losses. The New Orleans loss was overtime. Denver loss, he missed the free throw and they lost the final at the buzzer. You know, the San Antonio game, they lost because he missed, you know, they lost by uh, by seven and he missed eight free throws. The Houston game, they lost by one. Uh, so they've had a really rough stretch of games where they've lost right down in the final minutes or final seconds even. And you could tell it, it gets to him. Like he gets pissed off. He does not like losing. And, um, he visibly kind of shows his frustration and it's not like in a bad way, like a bad team. It's just, you know, he loves to win and he loves to compete. And when he's not doing that, he gets pissed off. Like we get pissed off about stuff not going our way. Um, So I like that about him and, and I understand it, but 
I was almost worried after that loss to Denver. I was like, man, he might need a night off, not just to rest his knee or whatever else is alien, but just to get his brain like recalibrated and refocused and, and kind of chill out mentally because he was really, I think he was really taking those losses to heart. And I think he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. I think he was blaming, it felt like he was blaming himself for a lot of those losses. So I was really happy to see him just get a night off, clear his head, and try to kind of shake the cobwebs a little bit and try to get out of the funk that he, he might have been in and by putting so much pressure on himself to, to be a winner. So that's kind of my – I was also thinking about that. Like he might not just need rest you know, physically but also mentally. And, I mean, the guy's played a lot of professional basketball over the last three years too. Well, so I, I went and did a dive kind of into his minutes when he was playing overseas because he played a ton of minutes or a ton of games. That was one of the things we were all kind of excited about. I want to say he played in the neighborhood of 80 games last year overseas, but he was also only playing 25 minutes a game because the FIBA games are only 40 minutes instead of 48. So he's playing eight to nine more minutes a game than he's ever played before while playing better competition, while doing, you know, uh, while basically break, you know, breaking records and barriers. He's been really interesting. Now, the one thing that I noticed when we came out of All-Star break, there were a string of games. I'm looking at the stats here. The first four games after All-Star break, he shot no more than 16 times per game. Yeah, I felt like he was really trying to get his teammates involved. His shooting percentages were up a little bit. He, he wasn't really making the attempts. And then these last you know six or seven games, his shot attempts have gone back up. And that's largely out of necessity. I mean, the Mavericks are terrible. And so somebody has to actually shoot the basketball. But, you know, his shooting percentages have been crap for a number of games in a row just because, you know, he's, again, the guy who's forced to bail them out. So it's it's just been – it's got to be really interesting because, you know, we're just watching a version of him. We know how good he is on on his own. We know how good he is within this limited framework. So, like, the Mavericks uh, – next year is just going to be so interesting to see how they start because – they're going to have more talent and that's not even, you know, much of a question really. So it's right now, it it doesn't feel like it's necessarily pointless, but like I'm watching the Portland game right now and he's posting up and, you know, he's, he's isolating and and making, he's made a really cool pass to Dwight Powell in the corner. Of course, Dwight Powell missed, but you know, it's like when you're watching these games with him, you're watching like specific motions to see how he does in, in really specific situations, which is, is, you know, honestly not very fun because, you know, we want the, the situations to, to be part of a whole and for them to, you know, play into something. But, you know, it's, you don't want to call it like pointless basketball because all these games, you know, matter to some degree, whether you're learning something about Luca Brunson, Dwight Powell, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's just been a little bit of a grind and, and that's, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the grind to be over, but I'm also trying to appreciate the fact that we're not going to get to see Luka Doncic play basketball for, you know, between April 15th and, and October, you know, uh, 20th or something like that. So. For sure. And then I was just kind of thinking about it. You know, it's not just Luca. We're not going to see play basketball from April to October, but from April to the rest of our lives, we're probably not going to see Dirk play basketball again. Um, <clears throat> just didn't even think about it. But, you know, Dirk passing Wilt the other night this week. 
that was really cool to see. And I know we haven't really, this is our chance to talk about it on the podcast. I know we've got stuff up on the site and we've had other podcasts, you know, with Nick uh, on the site about it as well. But I guess just to, to quickly go into the Dirk stuff now, um, it was really cool to see. And, and, you know, obviously there's not as much drama because we knew it was coming. You only needed to get four points. The drama really came the last, the previous game where he almost had that awesome fourth quarter uh, to kind of surprise people and take it there. Uh, but he did it. And I think, you know, I wrote about this after the game. And I know me and you have talked about it in our Slack threads with the rest of the staff and, you know, on Twitter and things like that. But the, the thing that really gets to me about Dirk passing Wilt is just kind of looking at that list now, that top six, and then seeing Dirk's name. And I know Dirk is rightfully there and he is just as good as he should be, you know, you can't take anything away from him. He is really that good. And he is really one of the all time greats, one of the greatest players of all time, but it's still just like, I, I can't get over just seeing his name, you know, right above Wilt Chamberlain, right below Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like you think of just all the awesome players that Dirk has played with, like Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett and Steve Nash and just all of these legends that he's, that have been in the game that, aren't on that list that aren't in the top six, you know, he's above Shaq. Like I know a lot of it, you know, part of it's his longevity, but you know, that's kind of a skill in in a way Like he took care of his body and he was able to be, you know, produce at a relatively high level, even when he got older and it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. And I kind of have to pinch myself, even though I know Dirk is that good and I know he's been that great for 21 seasons, but it just kind of, it just kind of makes me smile when I see his name on that list. Cause I just never, Growing up, I just never thought of Dirk in that way, if that makes sense. It absolutely does, because even when Dirk was amazing, and we're talking, let's say 2003 to 2008, and I'm sure, you know, when you look at his his basketball reference page, it's like a wall of numbers because he's played for so long. But let's just, just kind of uh, arbitrarily select those five to six seasons is when he was really, really incredible. It, it just never would have crossed my mind that a guy who never, he didn't have that highest scoring average. You know, he, he scored, you know, 23 to 25 points a game at most. And, and, you know, you just got to play forever and be consistent forever to be that kind of good. And it's, it, it, it is really shocking. I mean, so, so Andy Tobolowski, you know, our, our buddy and former Mavs Moneyball contributor, wrote a piece that's on Fansided this week that I, I I want everyone to go read. It's called just just Google Dirk or Google Dirk Wilt Fansided. It'll come up. It's incredible. But I want to read a graph from it real quick because it's amazing. Did you know that Dirk or that Wilt Chamberlain once ate a hundred omelets in one sitting? I actually just made that up. Although that doesn't mean it isn't true. But there isn't anything that you wouldn't believe about Wilt Chamberlain. That's the point. If I said he played one season against a league composed entirely of sentient bears, you'd go, yeah, okay, but where did he finish in MVP MVP voting? And he just crushes it with that, because Wilt Chamberlain is basically basketball Paul Bunyan. If you haven't read any of his autobiographies, I can't recommend them more. I want to say I've read two, because the stories are just insane, yet you finish reading it and go, Okay, I believe that because the man was larger than life, and now Dirk has scored more points in a basketball uh, a career than him. It's really, it's really pretty, pretty incredible. And it was a lot of. It, it'll be, it'll be much more fun to kind of talk about down the road. It was really passed with a little bit in, in NBA circles. You know, 
people gave it credit, but it, you know, it's 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 been a long season of celebrating Dirk and Dwayne Wade, so people are kind of over it at this point. But it was still lots of fun, and and you know, like I've seen some really incredible videos of peak Dirk this week, and it's you know we're super fans, and I've forgotten some of the things he was able to do. Uh, it, it's just wild. I I really look forward to to you know the four to five year look back at Dirk after this when we we think okay. You know, that guy changed the game in ways that are still affecting, you know, how teams are built today. Yeah, and it's and it's more than just being like, well, he was a tall guy that can shoot. It was he was more than that. Like I think when you talk about watching those clips and, you know, sometimes, you know, we forget how good Dirk was. You know, I think a big thing that comes up, you know, that happens when we have fans that tweeted us that obviously we're either blind or just we're not of age when Dirk was doing the great things that he was doing in his prime. But like the thing that I always forget that when I watch, even though I watched it live, I watched it with my own eyes when it was happening at a somewhat older age. I mean, I was a teenager, like I, I was conscious enough, but that I keep forgetting. And then I go back when I watch these clips is that Dirk was so f- like fluid and he was such a great athlete. And yeah, he wasn't like a Kevin Garnett going to dunk on your face kind of guy. But just like watching those clips of him, the way he moves and the way he runs, I think is just like he is a seven foot guy. And you you keep forgetting that he's a seven footer because he just moves like a guard. And like there have been other seven footers that have been athletic and there have been other seven footers that have been able to shoot. And there have been some seven footers other than Dirk that have put those two together. But the way that Dirk the fluidness of Dirk and his ability to kind of handle the ball and make moves, dribble moves like a guard in a way, you know, obviously not like crazy Steph Curry things, but just the way he was able to cross over and pull up at the elbow uh, out of an isolation. And you're just like, wait, this guy is seven feet tall. That's out. Like, it's just kind of outrageous. And like, we still don't re- like maybe Carl Anthony Towns is kind of doing a little bit of that, but we still don't even have anyone that's really doing that. Like, we've got some stretch fives, and Kristaps Porzingis is probably the closest bet there when he's healthy. But really, Dirk is just such one of a kind. He's not just a stretch four. He's not just a tall guy that could shoot. He was just – he was a tall guy that – he was a seven-footer that played like he was six six, and he was so – just so good at it. And that's kind of the part that's – when I've been going down memory lane this week since we've been getting so much Dirk nostalgia, that's the part that kind of jumps out at me. Uh, hands down, because it's, you know, we went through a phase, you know, Dirk was drafted in 98. We went through a phase the next several years of teams trying to draft Dirk-like players. And the difference between Dirk and everyone, everyone who has come since, with the exception of maybe Luca, is the fact that Dirk, or that Dirk, Durko, what's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> that Dirk was so athletic in ways that we don't value. You know, he was obviously super skilled because the skill is what it's allowed him to stay into the league until year 21. Because the last four years or so, that's basically what he's relied on is his skill. But his athleticism and his like quick twitch, his his ability to put the ball on the floor, his ability to pump fake and move is really what separated him from everybody early. I mean, there's there's the ongoing and constant, you know, Kevin Garnett versus Dirk debate. Garnett was a generational defender, and Dirk absolutely lit him on fire. 
And that's because he was athletic in ways that we just don't necessarily value comparatively. He could dunk the ball, but where his real like value lied was his, his core strength. You know, it's like he, he's probably, you know, he was so flexible, his ability to get shots off in funky ways. Like, that's just like, that's the sort of thing that, that we don't understand because the last five or six years, you know, basketball has evolved to be much more ball handler friendly. So it's, it's, it's harder to put that in context with today's, you know, players, but all you really need to do is go look at the all NBA teams of, of the, of the early two thousands. And then really, you know, the last three to four years and see who makes the forward positions. And it's just a different kind of player now than it was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, Dirk's in no small uh, part responsible for that. You know, the, the ball handling and things like that have become more and more valued. And, you know, there was a time when Dirk's ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the rack was just so valuable. Yeah, I mean, he was a, I mean, he was just a free throw machine in his prime, like especially after uh, Avery Johnson started coaching him. Like he just, he lived at the line uh, more than, you know, we kind of think of because, you know, the last, like you said, the last five years, he's basically just been a spot up shooting guy that doesn't get in the paint and doesn't go near the rim. But yeah, he lived at the, he lived at the line and he loved to get to the basket and he loved to get, you know, do the dirty work in the post. And maybe it wasn't always, you know, it didn't look like Tim Duncan flipping up hook shots. You know, he was maybe fading away or, but you know, he, you know, he was just so good at that. And it was just kind of an unheralded part of his game. And that's kind of, you know, when you talk about him changing this era, and I was kind of trying to think, you know, when we were thinking about guys that have come after him that have tried to emulate him. And I was trying to think of more traditional fours and fives that have tried to do it. And that's why I could only come up with Cat. But really, like, I think the closest has been, you know, you wouldn't consider him like a four or a five. But it's, you know, it's Kevin uh, Kevin Durant. You know, he's pretty much a seven footer. Uh, maybe not quite there, but he's basically a seven footer and, and with long arms and, and, and can, and can play in the post a little bit. You know, I, I know he's kind of got raised as a, as a two or a three when he first got into the league, but that's probably the best comparison of someone that's come into the league that has been at that height and tried to emulate that kind of skill and that touch. And it's just, it's just kind of wild how, how special Dirk was and how much of a one of a kind he was. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy. I'm gonna enjoy watching, you know, the the clips the next several weeks or months, depending on, you know, if Dirk actually decides to hang it up. I I really think he's probably trending that way, and if that's the case, you know, I'm I'm gonna get enjoy, you know, just just all the nostalgia that comes with, you know, 21 years of game footage. Yeah, definitely. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with some more and probably wrap up this podcast after this. Okay, and we're back. It's uh, Josh Bow here with Kirk Henderson, trying to get through a podcast as we get through the end of the season. And luckily, Dirk passing Wilt was kind of a nice inspiration for us to kind of get a little nostalgic about Dirk. Uh, we've talked about Luca and kind of what he's been going through with his kind of injuries and, and trying to finish out the kind of grind of the season. I think to close this podcast, last thing I kind of, I guess I kind of want to talk about is since the team, you know, since there's not much to look at right now and in, in, in the wins and losses and, and things like that, is kind of looking toward the future, but staying with this team. I know Tim Cato at The Athletic 
kind of wrote about this for his column today and talking about the pieces that are on the team right now and who are what are they going to be like next year because we know that Kristaps is going to be on the team and he's going to be a major component. But outside of him and outside of Luca and then, you know, Jalen Brunson, there's really kind of – there's a lot up in the air, not necessarily in terms of who's going to be on the roster, but kind of role and prominence and minutes and things like that. You know, when the Mavericks made all those crazy trades and brought in Przingis and shipped out DeAndre West and Barnes, I was hopeful – I didn't necessarily – I didn't think the Mavericks were going to be a better team, but I was hopeful that – Guys like maybe Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleba could maybe be cheap starters if the Mavericks don't do well this summer. And I think the thing that I'm learning is that I don't think that's necessarily the case. And maybe at best you would want one of them to be a starter, but preferably you'd I think you'd want both of those guys to come off the bench. And I think that really opens up some discussions about where do the Mavericks look and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because I feel like that's really the, you know, outside of Luca and Dirk, it's really the only thing to watch for. Like, do you see with, from the guys like Brunson and Finney Smith and Kleba, obviously the Mavs are going to try to make a big push and get some starters, uh, some high quality starters with their cap space. But do you see any of those guys, like if any of those guys are starting, do you consider it a failed off season? Or do you think that those guys have shown you enough or shown you anything at all? that you'd be okay with one or one or two of them being a starter next year? Uh, I'd probably be okay if Dorian Finney-Smith is a starter. All the rest of them are really, you know, uh, Brunson is is showing a lot, but I, I, I just don't think he has the size and really the passing chops to be the kind of, you know, secondary playmaker the Mavericks want. He's a heck of a scorer. You know, he's really shown that since the All-Star break. I, I feel like... Uh, I wrote this in the preview for the the Portland Mavericks game, but he's he's putting up comparable numbers to what Dennis Smith is currently doing in New York. Now, the the thing to remember is that Dennis Smith is also not that great of a passer. So it's it's just the thing with Brunson is I I think he could get there, but he's not there yet. Dorian Finney-Smith is just such he he's a spark plug. He you know if he's your if he's your small forward and you don't really need anything out of him other than playing defense and running around like a man with the man possessed then then that's really you know I don't, I don't think that's a problem for Dallas moving forward but the rest of them I have a little bit of an issue with you know Maxi Kleber is is excellent in short bursts off the bench Dwight Powell has a great march every year um that should say something to everyone when the Mavericks are also terrible every march uh, those two things start to be related after enough time um so it's it's really about you know what can they do in terms of either you know, picking up a top-notch secondary playmaker, picking up a person who can rebound the basketball because it's been painful since the break where Luca is by far the best rebounder and no one else seems to be able to do it very well. So those sorts of things are are a, a big deal, you know, as we as we head into to the off season. But I'm sure the Mavericks have a pretty good plan. I mean, it's it's easy right now to kind of get greedy to to think about what you know is is to come. But between the, the draft lottery and free agency, the real thing to remember is that the season was decided and also built upon back in late January, early February, when the Mavericks traded four of their starters for, you know, Chris Stapps, for Zingas, and to clear themselves of Harrison Barnes' contract. The, the Mavericks are in a really interesting spot. Even if they don't do anything, I, I don't think we can consider it, you know, a failure because 
they have two building blocks that are young. Uh, this is assuming Kristaps signs his his contract, but I don't see why they wouldn't or why he wouldn't. Um, so at that point, like this is all you know. I just feel like we're playing with house money in in a lot of respects. So I'm not really too concerned with with what happens. I mean, I'm gonna watch it carefully in hope that the Mavericks don't give out any ridiculous contracts. But you know, this has has been a a season that where the timetable has sped up so much that asking for anything more really feels greedy, and I'm just not there yet. Yeah, that makes sense, especially when you think about Kristaps as almost like that was their big summer move in a way, Yeah, just getting him in early. Like, it almost makes it feel like you can go into the summer, and if you don't get a second star, another star, that's fine. You know, they really could just get by. If This is actually kind of what I want them to do, is I want them to go after the B and C level free agents to kind of fill in the gaps that uh, Luca and Kristaps don't, you know, get a rebounder next to Kristaps to play. That doesn't have to be a 33 minute a night guy, you know, get a guard that can play next to Luca that can guard one and ones and twos since Luca is not going to be able to do that. And really you're kind of set. Um, I worry a little bit about like, you know, you said you'd be okay with Dorian Finney-Smith if he was like the one guy of the group, the young group that they have that's playing now as a starter. I worry a little bit because I just, his three-point shot just has to get just a little, just a hair more consistent. He's at 33% for this season. Uh, but basically since December or since the end of November, he has basically been in a free fall uh, with his three-point shooting. He has just been really like below 30%. Uh, since the end of November, which is just kind of rough. And it, it might work for like a regular season, but like a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, if his shooting is just not there, he's teams are going to start doubling and, and you worry about, you know, the space that Luca and Kristaps are going to be able to work with. That's probably counting the chickens before they hatch because, you know, the Mavericks kind of have to, they got to get Kristaps on the floor and they got to kind of prove that they can be a good team in the first place without worrying about, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, eighth guys uh, necessarily. But that would be my my one concern. You know, I, I would almost hope that none of those guys are starting next year and it's Luca, Kristaps, and then three new guys. That's a tall order. So I don't, you know, if they don't get it this summer, that's not a big deal. Maybe they get it at the trade deadline uh, next February, or maybe they get it the summer after that. Uh, what's really cool, and I think what plays into your point about playing with house money, is that for the first time in years or almost ever it feels like the Mavericks can get through a summer without necessarily breaking the bank or having to do all these moves and if they don't do that it's like you said it's not really a failure like it's it's okay because that's the luxury you get when you get Luka Doncic who is who when they drafted him was a 19 year old superstar in the making and that's what you get when you trade for Kristaps Porzingis who's a 24 year old seven foot three guy who can block shots and and shoot threes. And when your two best players are at that age, you can afford to maybe not get all the pieces you need in that summer because you can see if something opens up down the road at the trade deadline or the next summer, because I know that NBA teams are on the clock right now with their young guys because of the player movement. That's so rapid around the league and players demanding trades and trying to get out of situations they don't like. That's true. So the Mavericks shouldn't, you know, rest on their laurels and they know that, but there's also some benefit to not everything has to ride or die on this off season because 
unlike when the Mavericks were trying to strike it big when Dirk was, you know, 34, 35, 36, you know, the light isn't really at the end of the tunnel. Like it's just kind of beginning. And that's kind of an interesting feeling compared to the last five or six summers where it felt like it was do or die or the franchise is doomed. So uh, that's kind of neat. I think that's a neat feeling. I agree with you. I mean, the, the situation that we're in to me is, is, is the goals should be linear. The first goal is to be a top 16 team, i.e. make the playoffs. Then the second goal is to see if you can make the second round of the playoffs and really be a top eight team. Because once you're kind of a top eight team, everything starts to be judged slightly differently. You know, a a young team right now has a lot of options with where they go and they don't have to to build the team in a day. You know, they're they're, the Mavericks, you know, I, I don't like talking about other people's money, but. You know, the Chris Tapps Porzingis tax was, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee who combined to make not like like infinity stone money. Um, and, 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 you know, Dallas is going to have options down the road once those two, you know, are no longer with the team. And that doesn't even start to discuss the fact that they have, um, you know, 30-ish million dollars this summer if they're able to get there. So there, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity on the horizon. And like, I try not to get too uh, uh, caught up in it because, you know, there's so many things that have to happen first. You know, if the draft goes the Mavericks way, and that would be the first time that has ever happened because they've never moved up, that just changes things. Um, it changes a lot of options for for how the team decides to build. It, it, particularly if it were, you know, if it's top four, okay. If it's number one overall, oh my god! Like I can't even begin to process some of these things because they're so interlinked. And I, I know that a lot of guys have fun, you know, talking about that sort of stuff online, but I'm I'm just not there yet. Um, and, and you know, we'll we'll see where we go because these these things start to happen pretty quickly because there's a draft lottery, um, and then there's the actual draft and there's free agency and those th- three things all happen in a hurry. So oh, yeah. I, I I just kind of advise that everybody really you know if you want to talk about it and have fun, do so, but take a really deep breath for sure. And there's going to be a lot of moments, like you said, to 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 freak out maybe a little bit more. It's going to be hitting hard and heavy when the season ends. Uh, that's one of the things the NBA is kind of picking up from the NFL. Like the finals are over and then it feels like the draft is like next week. I don't know if it's actually that, but it feels like that. And then the week after that, it's free agency. And that lasts almost two months, really. Like it's all of July and then some of August. And then even then there's some some more moves being made. But so it'll be it'll be crazy, you know, it, Things are going to pick up and, you know, like I said, it'll be nice to know that the Mavericks don't have to have everything ride or die this summer. Um, but man, you're, <laughs> you talk about the draft stuff, but you, you're putting out the Zion juju. You're putting out the Zion energy for sure. I know I, you I, want it. You're I, using your powers for good. I just can't help it because he's kind of omnipresent in basketball right now. Um, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday or Friday, you're doing so likely while there's NC double uh, tournament games going on, which means you're a truly hardcore Mavs fan. But it, you know, if you haven't had the chance to watch Zion play basketball, it's the kind of feeling I got when watching Luca last year. And 
it, it's a little bit different because he's an athlete in a way that I can't properly contextualize because, you know, LeBron James was sort of skinny in high school. This guy weighs 285 pounds, which is the second, which would be the second biggest player in the NBA right now. And he really seems to like teleport all over the floor. Like I, I hate to get too deep into specific guys, but it's just, there's, there's not been anyone like him. Uh, the closest thing, like I, I want to say that the, my friend, you know, uh, Brian Cosmos on Twitter, long or at the start of the season, described him as like Larry Johnson. If you put him in a cave at birth and only played hardcore, uh, or uh, if you only played like metal all for the entirety of his life, like the guy's just incredible. He's also really skilled, and if you don't think he's skilled, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think that's a good stopping point because we could go on a Zion. I feel like Zion talk will need to happen for another podcast just in case something crazy happens in the lottery or just getting prepared. But I'm I'm with you. Uh, watching Zion feels like Luca in a sense that like, holy crap, this guy is so much better than everyone else. And it's so obvious. Like, it's so obvious. Like, you just need to take a half hour of watching the top prospects and it's clear, like, which one – is head and shoulders above better than everyone else. So we'll see what happens there. But Kirk, thanks for joining me. I know on East Coast time, it's it can be tough. So I always appreciate you getting it out. I know we're watching the Mavs uh, play the Blake Trailblazers right now. And it is not necessarily the most enticing game it's, right now. It, the last three minutes have been a little interesting. Like they, they, there's a rock fight in the first quarter. The Mavericks only had one assist in 12 minutes. And, <laughs> and in the last few minutes of the second quarter, they've actually made a run. It's currently 31-35 when we're signing off from this podcast. You're, you're right. Twenty. We are getting live updates when you listen to this 24 hours past the fact of when the Mavericks played a game. Um, well, Kirk, like I said, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's always fun when, to have you on and, uh, you know, we'll probably do it again sometime in the future and I appreciate it. See you later guys. Thanks guys. You've been listening to the Mads Moneyball podcast. We will see you next week.